As Ukraine crisis unfolds, does the West err on pushing Russia into the CCP's arms? North Korea sent five rounds of missiles to open sea within 20 days. As the regime becomes more unruly, what would be the U.S. countermeasure? After NBA player Anna's Freedom accepted Yao Ming's invitation to China, Yao Ming blocked Freedom's Instagram account. Why did he do that? What can we read out of it? Also, Beijing Olympics is just 10 days away. What is the what we should be expecting? Welcome to Wei and the Kathy Show. I'm your host, Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. So last time we talked to you about uh, the, how to say, the rivalry or the encounter, whatever you call it, between Yao Ming and uh, Anna's freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So the drama... So we talked about, uh, you know, there should be follow-ups. Yeah, and after we talked about it right away, you know, the drama developed to the next step. But we only got to, got, got to now to share with you what's the most recent development. But behind that development, and uh, we need to dive in, dive deeper into what uh, that, uh, you know, that kind of in encounter really teaches. And uh, also, Kathy interviewed uh, two guests, which I wrote in the community, and uh, two guests which will bring you the news scoop on their point of view on the upcoming Beijing Olympics, which is only 10 days away. Okay, but before we got to those stories, which I think is worth listening to. Let's first talk about, still talk about the Ukra Ukraine crisis. And uh, as of today, uh, the, the US and UK and the, the, the EU are discussing about um, sending more troops to the four neighboring country. I mean, neighboring country of the U Ukraine, but also um, bordering Russia. So like Romania and hung Hungary and uh, Poland and, and so on. So about uh, four countries each will take like 1,000 troops there. And basically the, the position is that move the troop closer to the Russian border in the hope of deterring Russia, Russia's possible invasion. Well, I don't know. So what do you think? 1,000 people in each of those countries will do much, will make any difference? I don't think so. But to begin with, I really want to you know, discuss with you because at last show, I share with you the, the general strategy, right? Whether the West or the U.S. should pull Russia out of China or CCP's arms into, into the West's arm or just push them and, uh, into China's arm. This is exactly what's happening, okay? So building such a rivalry against, um, against Russia is following well, the, the, the old logic, right? Cold War. Russia equals to Soviet Union, Putin equals to KGB, and we, we need to curb them and uh, cannot have them have another um, Crimea. And then now it's come to the uh, Ukraine. So, but logic, the, the thing is, this is my analysis, okay? This, in the very beginning, I just want to throw this out and see how you think. First, we did the show last time. I did my survey and I, I look at the result in my Chinese show and English show. It doesn't seem to be there are much people, many people who disagree of uh, what I proposed, my strategy, which is not my strategy, actually. Um, President Trump raised that years ago, five or, five or six years ago, saying that uh, don't push Russia into CCP's arms, put it out of it. But now, with the pending possible in, in, invasion of Russia into the Ukraine, uh, what the U.S. currently thinking about is to, you know, just have a very serious economic sanction. 
right? That's only de you know, deterring measure. Mm -hmm. Sanction, de deprive them of the chips so that they cannot produce cell phone and things like that, like how, how U.S. treated Huawei. And they thought that's effective. But uh, just from my common sense knowledge and um, you know, my experience with, uh, with China, by doing that, you would not sanction Russia effectively. You will only push them into, firmly into the full arms um, of the CCP. Likewise, with, this, uh, with the North Korea, Let, let's just take a look at the North Korea situation, okay? Uh, and think the development is, um, is, is developing pretty fast, all right? So first, um, since uh, January 5th, North Korea has sent six um, ballistic missiles in the four uh, weapon test, okay, missile test. And then, what does that mean? It means the number of the missile that North Korea filed in 20 days is the same as the number of missiles they filed the entire last year, all right? And now, just uh, yesterday, and the South Korea military confirmed that the North Korea launched its fifth uh, weapon test, and another two cruise missiles was filed. And uh, so in the, well, basically on the same day, on the Wednesday, in the Purely Bureau meeting, and uh, the supreme leader of uh, North, North Korean, Jim Jong-un, said uh, his government could start test the long-range missile and also the nuclear uh, device. All right, in the meantime, North Korea also tested and uh, flew the hypersonic weapons. Okay, remember that hypersonic weapon is uh, what only China and Russia has. Even U.S. is lacking behind over there. How could this poor North Korea regime have that kind of weapon? Very simple, China gives it to them. All right, so the hypersonic weapons fly at five times or more speed of the sound, and it can just change course at the final phase of the near the target. That's why it's, it is so dangerous. It could evade countermeasures <clears throat> through maneuvering rather than through speed. Um, so last summer, Beijing tested a nuclear-capable uh, hypersonic glide ve vehicle that flew into the low Earth orbit, okay? One month later, North Korea tested its own version of a hypersonic weapon. So just one month apart, where do you think this North Korea had that weapon? So, so basically, this, this is the situation. Like uh, during the Trump time, Trump is able to some kind of, in a certain way, pull Jim Jong-un out of, out of China and closer to the U.S., okay? And uh, Trump also tried to convince Russia, convince Putin to stay closer to the U.S. And now um, our current administration, Biden and the European Union and the current NATO is pretty much saying that follow the old Cold War um, logic. Okay, we're going to deter you. Uh, we don't want to fight with you with the military. We don't want to have people on the, you know, um, boot on the ground, but we're going to economically sanction you. And hopefully that will be a strong deterrent, but that would only push them into um, China's arms because they got enough money, they got enough technology to feed Russia. Russia will become a puppy of uh, CCP. Likewise, like uh, Jing Jong-un, this is not good because China, remember, China is our biggest rival now. You are, we are adding two allies to them. Russia does not have to be CCP's ally. And we're turning him into the ally. So when, when you and uh, my Chinese listeners and the viewers, they all, they, they, it's not hard for them to see this. Why our administration cannot see that? that that's something that's very interesting and very puzzling. The logic is not hard to 
decipher. And uh, so, but that's the that's that's currently what's happening there. Okay, so now now let's let's look at uh, the how to say the rivalry between Anna's freedom and uh, Yao Ming. As you remember, just just a few days ago, Yao Ming invited uh, NBA center of the Celtic, right? The Celt NBA Celtic mm -hmm. and uh, the center um, Anna's free freedom to visit China and have a comprehensive understanding of China. He and his fan will guide him through China. And if you remember, Freedom, Mr. Freedom said, okay, I accept you, I'll be there the first day of summer. That's when NBA season stopped. Okay, I'll be there first day. And, but I will buy my own ticket. I will go, go check out the labor camp and, and things like that. And I want to go to Hong Kong with you too and go to Taiwan. So we were telling you, let's hold our breath and see what's the response. So what's the response? Kathy. Yeah, so immediately there was some kind of response, but uh, guess what? Um, uh, let's see uh, er Ernest uh, Freedom's uh, uh, Twitter on the 23rd. And he said, I have to share this with everybody, the hypocrisy of little Yao. Uh, mind you, uh, little Yao is uh, seven, uh, it's seven, a seven, six. seven, six, yeah, seven, six. And, uh, and freedom. Uh, freedom is uh, six, ten. Right. Okay. Yes, he said a little Yao, and he said, first Yao Ming invited me over to China. A day later, I accepted his invitation. Then a day later, he blocked me on Instagram like a little kid. Okay, and he added, I guess she didn't approve. And he said, stop embarrassing yourself to the world. So he actually showed how um, Yao Ming did block his Instagram because when he tried, you know, to link to that, it was blank. And um, then, uh, actually, uh, Mr. Freedom shared another tweet uh, a, a couple of days earlier. He said, uh, this is actually funny and uh, pathetic. China is now the second dictatorship after Turkey that is trying to censor my name in the whole country. So how did he, they censor? Um, on Sohu, on the Chinese search engine, Sohu, when they showed uh, uh, Boston team, the M NBA team, every player has a name next to it, except for uh, Ernest Cantor Freedom. It's only number 13 on there. Let's see, uh, C let's show C4. There's a no name next to uh, number 13. Okay, and uh, uh, there are some, um, so that's the responses from uh, Yao Ming and the Chinese regime. And so on the Twitter, there are some responses uh, from the follower. Uh, one saying that, uh, hey, you know, Ernest, you are not the only one. We cannot search our top football soccer's um, uh, scorers, sorry, football scorer's name either. So you can see that the first uh, number one uh, football scorer, uh, name is blank, right? Who's him? His name is uh, Hao Haidong, uh, who is a famous foot, you know, soccer player in China. Uh, but uh, because he, he, now he resides in Spain, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and he openly and uh, harshly criticized the Chinese Communist Party and over their, you know, their, their human rights violation. 
and their bad deed. Now, and also a couple of years ago, he publicly published a manifesto right. against the CCP's rule and established a, a so-called new China on the mm. internet. So mm. that's he, um, him and his wife. His wife is also a, an athlete from mm -hmm. China. So, you know, those famous foot, like uh, athletes, if their literate, you know, their their ideas are not different are apart from the CCP's party line, so their name then will they be disappear. Shown. Yeah, and uh, uh, can we still, yeah, you can see. Let, let's make that a little bigger if we can. You know, the, the 13, this is the, uh, basically a Chinese rooster, uh, a rooster of the uh, NBA players in Chinese. And the 13th, what would circle there says 13, number 13. So the name is supposed to be Anna's Freedom, but it's, it's not there. Basically, those, it means those names are really, really fatal and very, really, really scary. So we have to take them off. Right. So that's basically CCP's way of control damage. Say, yeah, try to wipe out your name uh, if they don't, you know, they feel you don't agree with them. Yep. So, so I just want to share, I, I sent a tweet last night, okay. So after seeing this uh, encounter, right, and uh, so Yao Ming pretty much just uh, blocked uh, Freedom's uh, account. And uh, he, he's not inviting him to China for that guided tour anymore. But back then, okay, 85 years ago, in the 1936, there was a uh, journalist stationed in Shanghai, and his name is uh, Edgar Snow. For many of you, you probably recall the name. Edgar Snow was, uh, how to say, one of the early American journalists stationed in China, and he visited many, many places. He also visited uh, India, he interviewed um, uh, General Chiang Kai-shek, and also, also Gandhi. Gandhi of India. The, and then, but at a certain point, he was influenced and showed the door to Yan'an, which is uh, the Communist Party's capital in the northwest China. And he went over there in the June of the 1936. He stayed there for four months. And after that, he came back with all his notes. He compiled and uh, produced a book, which was published next year, the English book in America which is called The Red Star Over China. Okay, The Red Star Over China also got a translated version in Chinese. And because uh, The Red Star is a little sensitive, they turned that name into Xi Xing Man Ji, okay, like the journey to the West. However, this, the, the, the English version and the Chinese version has huge impact in the, on America and also in China. Okay, in America, uh, through that just knows eyes. Basically, he described a very friendly, a fresh force um, of Communist Party, which is stationed in the um, in the north uh, northwest China. They are fresh. They're, they're like the fresh. They're the fresh stream. Okay, that, that, that's what he described. Uh, fresh force. Um, they are not corrupt, and uh, they are very diligent, and uh, they are very. They work very hard. They are very clean and they love dem democracy, okay, and so on and so forth, all right? So that book really built a very good impression about the Chinese Communist Party in the mind of uh, Americans. So a few years later, if you, if you, if you, you may not know this, okay, um, after 10 years later, when the China-Japan war was over, okay, and uh, Jiang, Jiang Kai-shek or the Nationalist Party, um, um, ruled China, regained all the territory of China again, and uh, started a civil war with the uh, CCP. Literally, President uh, Truman did a 
weapon in um, weapon embargo against the nationalist party, basically Republic of China. The reason because they think they are fighting a corrupt, corrupted national party forces fighting a clean communist party force. So with that kind of uh, army, uh, the, the army embargo, and uh, the nationalist Republic of China's army, they, they, they basically, they, the, most, the, the most weapon are U.S. supplied. So when they run out of ammo, what can they do? They have to go back to the depot and they dig out those Soviet, the, the, the Soviet, um, I'm sorry, the, the Japanese, the, the Japan weapon that was they left behind when they, when they failed the war and, uh, and, uh, and went back to Japan. And then that's the weapon that they can count on to fight the civil war. In the meantime, in the meantime, the communist um, party have their military armed by, how to say, imported weapons from Soviet Union, which happen to be all American weapons. Because this is uh, during the Second World War, uh, Second World, yeah, the Second World War, the Amer Americans shipped so much weapons to the Soviet Union. They didn't use them up, they got enough. They simply just passed it on to um, CCP's army. So it's American armed CCP army fighting the Japanese, the failed Japanese, how to say, oh, armed nationalist party. That's why China was lost. So in a certain way, this is due to this book, okay? The Red Star over China changed the mind of many people, I'm sure, including President Truman and his, the people around him, um, in a certain way, okay? And uh, the Chinese version, the Xixing Manji, the journey to the West, and uh, full so many young Chinese intellectuals, they just, um, how to say, they betray their family and they run to Yan'an on foot, one, one or 2,000 miles, went to Yan'an and become the soldier, full soldier of the CCP. And uh, so I read the book, okay? I read some of the book. I didn't write uh, you know, the entire book. And the, I only have, one commentary, you know, commentary here, comment here. So basically, uh, Edgar Snow, Snow was showed the door to Yan'an and went through the, the, the guided tour, and then pretty much they got 30 or 40 Yao Ming, 30 or 40 Yao Ming of that time, and they talked to this poor journalist, journalist who naively took in everything they told him. And what they told them is really just a, a fable, lies, stories that does not exist, did not exist. But the snow just took them in and uh, turned them into a book full of passion and enthusiasm and his imagination and then changed the mind of many, many people in, in, the, in the U.S. and also in China. So this is, you know, this is, uh, this is uh, what a, how much harm a guided tool can have upon people, upon the entire generation, upon the entire nation. So at the end of my tweet, I said, fortunately, I just wish that in this world, we no longer have any more snow, okay? Any more snows. We only have, only have freedom. So, Kathy. Yeah, so actually, um, so this book, you know, obviously it's translating to Chinese. It's for the propaganda to the Chinese people. But also, as we mentioned, it, it affected a lot of uh, Americans, you know, the, including the decision-making at that time. So actually, we do have a live example of uh, how it affected a lot of Americans. Uh, but fortunately, uh, this person changed uh, his understanding but it's 30 years later. So think about that. So again, uh, this is um, 
um, from uh, the story from uh, General Steel, uh, David Stilwell, who is the uh, Assistant Secretary of State um, for the East Asia and the Pacific Affairs and the Trump administration. So um, this is a very brief sharing from him during my interview, but I think it's really worth uh, listening to his story, how you know those type of book, this type of education uh, affect uh, people's mind in the United States, and it is still happening actually in here, right? So we would like to understand that. So um, yeah, let's hear the how um, General Stilwell's uh, understanding of China um, just uh, changes. Uh, so I, I mentioned the book uh, Stilwell and the American Experience in China. If, if for my Chinese history friends, if you remember, um, Joe Stilwell, Shirdiwe, was not very complimentary of Jiang Jiexu. He called him Huashong, <laughs> Peanut, uh, and other things. And that, that's unfortunate. But the way the book was written, it didn't spend a lot of time on the, on the CCP. And what treatment it did give was generally positive, um, because it wasn't the KMT during World War II. And so my impression is reading that book was that maybe the KMT in World War II was corrupt, Jiang Jiexu and that the communists in the North maybe were a better choice or going to be something different. Well, then, the, the book ends in 1945, and we're fighting a full-on war in 1950. So, again, that's unfortunate, but um, you're left with the impression that maybe the, the communist government's better. And it's a free country, and Barbara Tuckman can write whatever she wants, and what she wrote, I believe, is perfect, factually accurate, historically accurate. Well, then the next book I read was by a guy named Edgar Snow, and it was called Red Star Over China. And it was and a guy... And people really familiar with that. Yeah. And this was a guy who was taken in by the propaganda machine. He was only shown all the good things, and he wrote very... He was writing articles about it, and then he published a book about it. And my young 18-year-old mind read that book, and I wasn't questioning it. I wasn't... I didn't think he would try to mislead me. And so I thought, wow, this is a pretty good thing, right? We're getting rid of the corrupt, rich, you know, we're, we're distributing the land among the people fairly and all those things. I mean, look, I, I can see why people buy propaganda because it, it's, it's fiction. It's written to convince you of something. It doesn't cover all the bases. It doesn't tell you the whole story. Uh, and so I carried this impression for 30 years. 30 years. 30 years uh, that I thought, well, maybe this communist system can work out. Maybe we can work with these people. Maybe they're reasonable. Um, but it wasn't until I went to Taiwan in 2018 that I went, oh, I get it. <laughs> okay, I get it. Wow, so it's a very recent. Yeah. I was wrong all this time. And it was, I was wrong because I was intended. I was influenced. I was fed propaganda to make me wrong. Well, Why the trip to Taiwan made such a big change in Well, they spoke the same Mandarin, basically, except minus the uh, that I heard in Beijing. And, and, uh, so I could communicate, and the culture was similar, right? The basics of Confucian culture and all those things the same. But as I walked out the hotel door that one morning, the air was clean, the people were really friendly. Uh, there was just none of those harsh edges of the, the communist system. I wasn't worried about getting arrested for maybe saying something wrong or going to the wrong place. There's a, a place called Forest Park near the hotel I stayed in Taiwan, in Taipei. And I went running. I, I love to, that's how you can best understand a place is run. So I ran, and I ran past a Catholic church, and it was a real Catholic church. There were real people going in and having a worship. 
And within a block, I ran past a Islamic Muslim mosque. It was a real mosque, and it had real... Those things in Beijing are fake. You know, the, the, the Catholic Church, the main one there in Beijing, at Christmas time, had a Santa Claus playing a saxophone, you know? And uh, the services that were conducted there were generally there to demonstrate that, yes, we have religious freedom. Well, no, they don't. it wasn't. It was fake. Anyway, the things in... Taipei struck me as real, legitimate, uh, honest. Um, I just wish that the Chinese people had the same benefit, you know, over there. So it, it really, but it, it's really kind of, uh, I think a lot of people would think, wow, you know, 30 years of the impression, it just... Took a long time. Took, yeah. yeah. You can read stuff, and it just doesn't make the same impression as seeing it. Yeah, and General Stilwell also shared uh, what he experienced in China uh, helped to him to change this uh, 30 years of impression on China as well. At the embassy, <clears throat> we, we all went to uh, China and the embassy as panda huggers. We really wanted to get this relationship on track. Because, look, the, the benefits of cooperating are far better than, far more than what we're going to end up with in competition. But we have to compete. Uh, we all want that. We all want to share these things, right? We all left Dragon Slayers. We all left going, there is no way we can fix this. It's, it's impossible. This is... Give you know. us an example. Um, well, I gave the example of my own experience where I was not afforded the same uh, access or respect that uh, I gave or we gave their representatives in D.C., the embassy uh, in Beijing is, you know, it's got multiple layers of fences that you have to go through to get into the embassy, to your own embassy. To the American, American embassy? American embassy. And the reason is they're afraid that uh, Chinese people will try to go there and, and to claim asylum or something like that. Or worse. Or somehow embarrass the government. But you see the Chinese embassy in, in D.C., there's no restrictions at all. They can walk in and out. Again, I asked my counterpart, why is that? You know, why are you harassing us? If you're an Asian face walking into the embassy in Beijing, you're going to get harassed, right? It shouldn't happen. So, you know, we hire Chinese people in the U.S. embassy in, in Beijing. We have no problem with them working with us. We need, it's, frankly, it's cheaper to hire local Chinese to work in the embassy. Their language skills are better. Uh, they can work with the local government better. Ask your Chinese friends here in the consulate or in D.C. how many Americans they hire. Uh, in that embassy. Zero. It's a trust problem, right? So, anyhow, th these, are, uh, these are all things that contribute to just broad impressions of the system that we're dealing with. Yeah, so talking about the U.S. Embassy in China, let's show two pictures. Actually, I just, um, you know, it's, it's going to relate to the next uh, topic we're going to talk about. But just take a look. This picture of the U.S. Embassy, right, in China, how they are guarded, you see all those uh, bars, right? So this is from the Reuters report. Next one. Let's see. This is also shows the, uh, the embassy of the United States in Beijing, but it, this is uh, from the Global Times report. Okay, Global Times, we talked to you many times. It's a, a Chinese Communist state-controlled tabloid. So they show this way, but uh, they skip the fences. They're able to enter right. the fences, and uh, because they are their own people, 
So yeah. So uh, this. Do I have do I have Chinese embassy in the U, in, in the U.S.? Oh, I didn't kept you are yeah, you know. Maybe Tony can can find out like the Chinese embassy in the D.C. And I was you know I I was near there. I remember what was what it's like like uh, General Stillwell said right. Yeah, just There's no uh, fence. They just just the door. Just walk over there. Nobody wants to stop you. Um, that's the stark difference. Just on this small matter. Yeah, how to, how yeah. to enter the embassy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the you know, small things like this, but it tells a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, General Stillwell, you know, it's just according, you know, under thirty years impression mm -hmm. of how China under CCP might work, you know, those um, uh, real experience, personal experience. Yeah. So back to freedom versus uh, how to say it, Yao Ming. Okay. So remember that eighty-five years ago when Edgar. Snow went to Yang'an and then came back and with his notes and wrote the book. Nobody suspected that he was telling the he was he was you know he was telling the untruthful thing. He probably himself doesn't know that. So because I read those, okay, he talked about the leaders, the story of a certain Chinese communist top leader and how glamorous they are and what's their how colorful their life experience, all just through somebody, somebody's mouth. He did not interview them. He did not go back to check out all the other witnesses, things like that. So they just found you know, 30 or 40 Yao Mings in those four months. And he just talked to this poor journalist who just sucking everything and, and, and generate and then produce that uh, red star over China. So it's really, really unfortunate. Nobody would imagine how deceitful Communist Party, yes. Yeah, you know, Wei, this reminds me of a movie I don't know how many of you uh, watched. Mm -hmm. I watched uh, maybe, I don't know, a few year, uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, it, the movie's name called, it's Hollywood movie, okay, mm -hmm. Volunteer. Volunteer. It's an old movie, I think it's the okay. 1970s or 80s. But at that time, I think Hollywood actually does produce some, uh, you know, decent stuff. Decent stuff, and it, it, the main character uh, is uh, Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. Talk about how this young man, you know, made trouble in the United States, uh, joined the Peace Corp uh, to go to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And there was one scene. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, one of his pal uh, was uh, caught by the communist Vietnamese mm -hmm. army, mm -hmm. and uh, in, in like, uh, first of all, he was like. You know, you just tell me. You know, you just uh, work on me, right? I won't bow to you whatsoever. Then the next thing is that he was like bowing to them, nodding to them, like mm. yes, yes, yes. Mm. So it really showed how the propaganda, the brainwashing of the communism, you know, really it's um, it, it really worked on a lot of people. So I had a very, you know. I was very impressed by that movie, mm. actually, because it really showed how you know communism is deceitful and mm. uh, can really change, kind of brainwash people. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So fortunately, we have this young guy, Anas Freedom, who went through the totalitarian regime like a Turkey, and he got immune, and he's he, he you know he got he, he got his uh, people's ear because he's NBA NBA player, so um, he's way better than. Snow, okay, and then so I just hope that at this stage, going forward, after we, we went through more than one hundred communist parties rule or communism, that we come through wiser, knowing that people, you know, we won't be like uh, Edgar Snow, being tricked and being deceived, you know, deceived and wrote something or say something that uh, you know for our countrymen.
So, so again, salute to Freedom, right? Yeah. We should all salute to him. Yeah, mm -hmm. quite a guy. Yeah. And uh, so next, let's you know dive into more up, uh, into the Beijing Olympics coming up less than 10 days. And uh, what would people be expecting and what should people watch out for? So I interviewed uh, Freedom House uh, person, they did an uh, analysis on that. But before that, uh, there's some kind of, there are other news related to that actually, also related to what um, General Stewart just talked about, how, you know, people uh, in the embassy, in the US embassies in China felt assaulted. It's still happening. Uh, the United States, it was reported by various media, including like Reuters and also including Global Times, uh, saying that uh, the United States State Department is uh, considering whether to authorize American diplom diplomats and their families in China who wish to leave to depart China. Because uh, uh, according to Reuters, the sources said that uh, some embassy staff really don't like the intrusive pandemic control measures by the Chinese authorities, but they feel the United States government has not, has been unwilling or unable to exempt them from those rules. So what are the rules? Those including possible forced uh, admittance to COVID fever clinics and the separations from children. And according to one of the sources, the U.S. Embassy conducted an internal survey showing that um, as many as 25% of the staff and family members would choose to leave China as soon as possible. Another source said that the embassy leadership had failed to get appropriate uh, assurance from Chinese government on the treatment of the U.S. diplomats throughout the pandemic. And uh, uh, the person also said that the United States government should have imposed retaliatory measures to Chinese consulate officials from, uh, for quarantine requirements, but failed to do so. I think everybody knows that right here, there's no Chinese consulate um, complaining about uh, any such kind of treatment or requirements. So, um, the state-run, the Chinese state-run tabloid uh, Global Times called the State Department's consideration of the policy is a dirty trick intended to sabotage uh, its uh, hosting of the o Olympics and uh, quote-unquote slander China's anti-pandemic work. And in the meantime, you know, Global Times published an exclusive report on how China blasts U.S. plot of uh, authorized exit of diplomats ahead of Olympics. And the subtitle is U.S. Confusing Logic, Evacuate from China to Get Infected Easily. So they are touting that uh, China is now the safest, safest place on Earth. Okay, why? Because, um, you know, uh, they said, uh, uh, they quote some data uh, from uh, World Meter. Okay, we'll talk about this a little bit, World Meter. Um, so again, the uh, Chinese uh, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lijian said today that uh, China is undoubtedly the safest country at present and uh, evacuating from the safer place to the world of, in the world will only expose U.S. personnel to much greater 
risks of infection. How do you think of that? And uh, it, the data is cited from a uh, Worldometer. This is a, a so-called real-time statistics site. And uh, as of today, the site shows that um, the United States has more than 72, 72 million COVID cases and a death toll of over 890,000. Okay, so and that's listed as uh, world's number one, United States. And then Global Times reported that uh, about 2,000 Americans are dying from uh, COVID-19 every day, and uh, it's increasing, uh, the death toll increasing nationally. It quoted uh, also from Xinhua News Agency saying that uh, in contrast in China, only 4,636 patients died from the infection since the onset of the pandemic. This data is also from this uh, uh, Wordometer, and uh, it is, admits that the toll has remained unchanged for almost a year. Remember, General Stilwell talked about this mm -hmm. in the previous interview. This data, the death toll of China, uh, in China, which is uh, 4,636 people died of the pandemic, didn't change since, have not, has not changed since last April. And uh, so, do you believe that? And the, the Global Times touted that how China is the safest place and uh, how the um, countermeasure, the preventive measure against the pandemic are very scientific and precise. And uh, uh, the strategy is well recognized. And, and how, you know, it compares how United States is uh, chaotic and uh, failure in dealing with the pandemic. So just to take a little closer look at this uh, Worldometers, the data that uh, the Global Times is citing, and how credible it is. Um, I did a little bit of research, and this uh, it's a data um, aggregation uh, website covering subjects like government, world population, things like that. But uh, in 2020, this website uh, attained a greater popularity due to its um, hosting the statistics related to COVID-19 pandemic. It became like uh, the uh, number 28 of a most visited mm. website. Okay. Okay. And its number, the COVID-19 figures has been widely cited by like New York Times, Washington Post, CNN. And, um, but it's already, it's, uh, already faced criticism over the transparency of the ownership and the lack of the citations of data sources. Uh, as well as the unreliability of its uh, COVID-19 statistics and the rankings. So uh, the English uh, Wikipedia already in earlier, like in April 2020, the editors decided that uh, uh, this site's uh, COVID-19 figures are very unreliable, should not be cited. But again, you know, Global Times just uh, cited as its evidence. And uh, the ownership is very untransparent. The name, um, the name Wordometer, actually it's, um, it's owned by another data uh, company. Okay, this data company called uh, uh, Datax. And the Datax actually has shared the same name as a data, 
a, a company headquartered in Shanghai. So um, although these two companies both, you know, in March of 2020, they both came out to send out statements saying they have no relationship, but you know, it's just there's no transparency. It's very hard to really find out what's uh, who's behind uh, the site. And they said that they only use like a volunteer software developers, you know. And but this site has like 31 languages. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so. And the relationship between this site and John Hopkins University. I mentioned before, I asked Dr. Yan Limong about the, uh, the uh, pandemic map from the John Hopkins University. So actually, John Hopkins University lists uh, this world meter as one of uh, several sources for its widely cited uh, coronavirus uh, dashboard, including the map. And uh, the university declined to say what specific data um, points it relies on Wordometer for. But uh, this, or, you know, has been already notable errors, very big errors there. So um, again, I also found out that uh, the person who, the student who developed this dashboard is actually a Chinese uh, student in uh, John Hopkins University. Of course, he's under supervision of a professor. So, you know, this is the background. So the uh, Global Times just, you know, criticize the United States uh, Department of State uh, is uh, politicizing, trying to sabotage its uh, successful hosting of uh, Olympics and trying to undermine its anti-pandemic policies by allowing the embassy staff to withdraw from China. So then what uh, do we, what do we expect, uh, especially for those um, athletes and the media, mm -hmm. the journalists who, who, you know, will be in at the Beijing Olympics. So Freedom House, the, this is a human rights organization based in Washington, D.C. They analyzed information controls at the Olympics. They said that, um, the CCP leadership will be dialing up the world's most sophisticated apparatus of information control using censorship, surveillance, and legal reprisals to curb political, religious, and other speech that deviates from the party line. I talked to the researcher who you know, did the research. She's a research director of China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan issues in at the Freedom House. Her name is Sarah Cook. And she said that these conditions could have se uh, serious implications for athletes and the journalists and for the Chinese public more broadly. So first of all, I asked what kind of restrictions for the athletes and the journalists who are going there would be facing. Well, I think the thing to keep in mind uh, is that the Chinese Communist Party has really put in place in China the most sophisticated and multi-layered apparatus of censorship and surveillance in the world. There's really never been Olympics like this in terms of it being in a place that is so heavily monitored in such a high-tech way and in such a pervasive way. It's actually a big difference even just from 2008. And so I think, you know, there's an element of just being aware of that 
and being aware, for example, that hotel rooms may be monitored. Any device you take is going to be monitored. And in fact, one of the things that was discovered just, I think, last week is that one of the apps that's required for anyone attending, athlete, coach, you know, the small number of spectators that there may or may not be, journalists, um, for, for health protocols, actually has an element of some surveillance and some censorship embedded in it. And so there's an opportunity for users to report on each other if they see someone saying something, say, quote, political or about human rights or anything else, um, you know, in, in the chat or at the venues. Um, and then there's something that wasn't yet activated, but that has all of these kind of sensitive keywords, um, so to speak, that if someone were to use those, their chats or, or information could be censored within this app. So I think that's just one example of a revelation that came out very recently in terms of the level of monitoring and surveillance and potential censorship uh, that could that, that is going to be taking place. So Sarah mentioned uh, it would be the monitoring and uh, censorship will be more severe uh, than the 2008 Beijing Olympics. So I asked her to elaborate a little bit more. You know, looking back and Actually, the 2008 Beijing Olympics was kind of a watershed moment in terms of surveillance in China because it was the first time they really started to invest, for example, in video surveillance in a lot of places. They expanded things like databases of, you know, you know key people like Falun Gong practitioners or Uyghurs or, or others that they deem as, quote, troublemakers. And... Um, and that really has escalated and taken off and really been a huge, become a huge industry in China. And of course, the level of sophistication that's available now with artificial intelligence, with facial recognition, is just years, light years away of where we were back in 2008. And so I think that's one dimension is just the technological innovation and what's changed. I think the other is that honestly, the regime is even more oppressive now than it was in 2008. And so, you know, for example, Freedom House, we do give countries like scores on their level of freedom. And China has long been rated not free. Um, but, you know, back in 2008, 2010, 2011, China had about a 17 out of 100, with 100 being the best. Now, that's not a very good score. If you were a student on the test, you would not want to get a 17. But today, China's a none. So you're talking about a country that was already one of the most repressive and authoritarian in the world. And it's barely half as free as it was just, you know, say 10 years ago. So I think that's the other element, that there's just the, the regime um, is just targeting so many more communities and so many more people that used to be on the so-called kind of safe side of the red line, and now they're not. So all kinds of things that you used to be able to say and do and maybe not be punished are now more commonly uh, punished with more severe punishments. And so I think that's really also part of what's changed. It's a combination of the greater surveillance, but also a regime that is just that much more brutal and harsh. And so what else people should watch for? I think there's different types of sponsors. There are ones that are really just like advertisers and corporate sponsors. And honestly, they really are the ones that now it's too late, but it would have been great if they could have used their economic leverage to get the games moved, essentially, right? Um, considering the situation in China and how it's 
become that much worse, even just since China was awarded, Beijing was awarded the games back in 2015. I think with regards to broadcasters like NBC, um, you know, I'm still hopeful. I think we'll see because I think there is a lot of attention and pressure to see how um, they manage the broadcasts and to the extent they are able to, say, sprinkle some commentary about the broader political um, uh, context in China. So maybe it might not be the person who's actually, say, reporting on the ground during the sporting event. But maybe when they come back to the studio here in the U.S., you know, maybe they will have someone like me to say something, right? Or maybe in between the sporting events, they'll be able to air some documentary or something like that about, you know, some of the issues going on. Not only, you know, for example, the, you know, persecution of religious and ethnic minorities, but environmental issues, crackdowns on human rights lawyers, um, the situation in Hong Kong. So I think we'll have to see. But that's one of the things that Freedom House has called um, on, on broadcasters to do is that if you're already covering and reporting on the Olympics, look, a lot of people want to see the sporting event. That's understandable. But to really try to make an extra effort to provide that context. And I do think that people are watching them. Again, even more than 2008, I think there's a lot of attention to kind of test and see where different international actors land in terms of whether they do something that is closer to standing up for really just fundamental human rights and all of the people in China who are persecuted um, and in Hong Kong, um, or they just remain uh, conspicuously silent on these issues and kind of rah-rah for the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, and lastly, I just uh, ask Sarah, you know, any other things he, she would like to uh, remind or share with our audience? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of attention on the athletes, on the foreigners, on the journalists. And I think there's going to be a lot that we're going to see happening on screen. But I actually think that there's going to be a lot happening behind the scenes. And it'll be really interesting to see after people return what they say about what was going on. Because already you could see, in, uh, for example, the Foreign Correspondence Club of China published a statement in November. And there were like 10 examples from foreign journalists, not just from the U.S., but from uh, Europe, from Asia, talking about the problems and the obstructions that they met, just trying to like talk about the preparation of the Olympic venues. So I actually think it'll be perhaps quite interesting to see when everybody comes home and is a little bit able to speak more freely, uh, what kind of tidbits and anecdotes related to surveillance, just obstructionism, of how much Chinese officials really stop people from being able to report independently or speak independently. So I'm actually quite curious to see what comes out after the fact. Okay. Okay. So Sarah Cook with the Freedom House. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. yeah. I saw, you know, actually I also read it. Uh, Patrick on Safe Chat said, uh, read uh, tonight, Taiwan is a boycotting the Olympics. Good for them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And as, as you see, well, how, how the rhetoric, rhetoric you know, goes, right? And uh, when the U.S. Uh, embassy staff want to exit China and go back to America, they said, why, why, why do you want to do that? China is the safest place. Well, they can say so, but how about just ask the people in China, ask people in America, where do, do they want to go? If China is as safe as they touted to be, and all, you know, those American embassy staff should not, should not raise the request, right? Or they were just ordered by their superior and uh, to, to play this trick. And just think about that, right? Yeah, and also think Do about, uh, yeah, think about, I was, we were talking about that earlier. If, you know, the 
uh, the diplomats in the United States from the Chinese consulate, they feel so unsafe here, here in yeah. the United States. What would they do, right? Yeah, we have not heard a word from them, yeah. you know, requesting like uh, more quarantine or they wanted to go back to China. Have we heard about that? Nothing. What does that tell? Right? So in Chinese, we call this 用脚投票, just, uh, you know, government always have their vote rhetoric. Vote by feet. Yeah, vote by feet. Okay, in China, you cannot vote by ballot. You vote by feet, you know, feet. You choose to come to U.S., that's your vote. So, yeah, so it should be reversed, right? Chinese consulate, embassy staff should say, I want to go back to China because it's safer there, as, as raised by, as touted by the Chinese state council's uh, spokesperson. But nobody did that. In the meantime, we've got the reverse happening. And uh, so this is the, you know, that's, that, that's the issue. You know, in, in Chinese, the language does this joke, right? A Martian, a Martian came to the, uh, Martian, the planet of Mars is, is doomed. Okay, this Martian needs to find a new place to, to, to stay. So they came to the Earth. Wow, this great place. I need to decide on which country to go to. It really depends on which newspaper you pick up. At that time, you know, the joke goes, they pick a New York Times. Okay, New York Times is just full of bad things in America. They pick a, pick a People's Daily. Wow, this is paradise. All the Martians went to China then. They all regret, you know, to the, how to say, to the last breath of, uh, of their life. But that is the thing is, is, you know, it is, right? In the U.S., newspaper tell the truth. Generally speaking, not today, back then. Newspaper tell the truth. American government tell the truth. When we say 800,000, more than 800,000 people died, we probably, those people who are sick, who are not, not directly caused by the, how to say, pandemic, they are all, you know, attributed to the death toll for the pandemic. In China, the numbers stay at 4,600. Okay. Yeah, just this number, you yeah. know, can you believe that? 4,636 yeah, since last April. Yeah, we, back then we reported about in China, just in the, in the month of February and the March of the, of the 2020. Okay, by counting, by counting the number of the, how to say, cinerary uh, caskets, okay, the truck moving in into, into the funeral home, you add them together, it's way, it's way beyond the, the, the government number is probably 10 times as much, but it doesn't matter. They control the media, they say whatever they want, and they're just like the Martians, you know, they, they, if they just listen to the propaganda or listen to whose number, everybody will be, think China were the most, the best paradise in this world. It is not. People vote by, 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 their, by their feet. They come to US, nobody migrate over there, people migrate over here. So anyway, that's, but again, it's, it's, this is how, how, how to say, this is how the propaganda works. I hope that they will, no, from now on, they won't trick anybody, okay, like how they trick the snow, mm -hmm. Mr. Snow, and uh, who, who will turn around and fool the world. All right, that's all for today. Thank you very much for staying with us. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you for all the comments. Uh, we are sorry, almost uh, one hour, so yeah. we won't uh, uh, prolong further. But, uh, uh. yeah, glad yet you all being with us and... Uh, Hopefully, you know, we all just uh, learn something. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think people like us, I think we are the seed of the truth. The seed will come out, will sprout, will grow big, we're gonna, you know, we'll bear fruit. Other people will, you know, learn from us, hear from us, and people will become wiser and wiser until the propaganda goes nowhere. All right, take care. Thank Good, night. You. Good night. Until Friday. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.